0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Guess who's coming to town this weekend? I hear James Harden's coming to town. <laughs> Timely. Yes, it sounds like he might be in town in the next couple of days. Who knows when the superstar is going to debut for his new team, the 76ers. How awesome is that? And we'll follow up on that here on the John Cast in the days ahead. For the real reason Sabrina why I was asking you you know who's coming to town this weekend the first band I ever saw perform live in concert boys to men at the Mets. boys coming to men to
1: was your first concert
0: not just boys to men boys to men was the headliner opening act so this is 1995 remember opening act Montel jordan followed up by tlc and then boys to men close it out Back that at actually the old, sounds amazing yeah East centre <laughs> on the waterfront in camden when it first opened I love that.
1: Boys to Men, Philadelphia group. We love our Philadelphia musicians. And you know who else is an amazing Philadelphia musician, just absolutely iconic, is Marian Anderson.
0: That's a great word for her. She is iconic. You can make the case that she is one of the most, if not the most accomplished musician, performer ever to come out of the city.
1: If you don't know about Marian Anderson, you're about to. We're going to get KYW News Radio's Sharon Day Howard in here to tell us why she's so amazing and also what we need to do to help preserve part of her legacy here in the city. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa.
0: I'm Brian Seltzer.
1: And this is the John Cast. J. Scott Smith is taking a much-deserved break, but we are holding down the fort. We still have to get you your daily Philadelphia news podcast.
0: I would say that anyone who puts up with us five days a week, multiple hours on time, <laughs> yes. They get a break. For sure. Turns out, Sabrina, yesterday, as we talked about, it was a big old mess in Philadelphia. First, there was that huge water main break in southwest Philly in the morning. I want to play you an update from KYW News Radio's Tim Jimenez on how things are drying out in that part of the city. There are concrete barriers surrounding the intersection of 56th and Springfield Avenue where there's this huge crater in the middle of the street. This is where water department crews will be spending a lot of time in the coming weeks. Commissioner Randy Heyman says the goal is to get this neighborhood back to the way it was, but that'll take time.
2: We're still in the process of evaluating the situation. You may notice there's still water in the the hole. So we're unable to see the actual pipe at this time.
0: It's a 48-inch cast iron water main that's about 100 years old. Heyman says they've been going door to door explaining the process to residents of how this is all going to get fixed and giving them steps to take if they have any water damage. And cleanup, he says, is a priority.
2: You may have seen um, some workers with shovels. We will pick up the mud and dispose of it in the proper way and proper location.
1: That's going to be a pretty big endeavor. I mean, it already is.
0: I just keep thinking about the possibility of a sinkhole. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants that. And I've also
1: heard that the um, water, you know, while the water is still on everywhere, the water pressure is like not really functional for a lot of homes. I don't know if that's been fixed by this point, but it's not a good situation.
0: I think the same could be said for something else that happened later on Wednesday. So we have the water main break first. Then later on in the day, I see this tweet from the outstanding Kristen Johansson, come through last night. And here's the tweet. I'm going to read it. News. Sources say the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office at the new police headquarters, so that's on Broad and Callow Hill, the old Inquirer building, has a serious drainage issue with pipes backing up and leaking to the detention center below. The jailed people have moved to another facility. It has been described as, quote, very gross I
1: hope nobody is uh, listening to this while they're eating dinner or lunch or anything like that, because uh, we're, we're talking about some gross stuff today.
0: Yeah, hopefully that gets resolved quickly. But Ugh. just wild that those two stories would happen on the same day.
1: In brighter news, though, two students from local colleges were representing the area in Jeopardy's National College Championship last night.
0: Yes, you love to see it. Let's give shout-outs to Mahek. Beau Pry from the University of Pennsylvania and from the mainline, Villanova University's Mitch Masick. Awesome that they were on the National College Championship. It was such a big field, a huge field. We're talking like 25,000 people, I think, were part of the applicant pool. It ultimately got whittled down to 36 contestants, and the tournament got underway a couple days ago.
1: KYW News Radio's Hadass Kuznets talked to both of them. Mahek Pry, she's the one who goes to Penn, said that. Making it to the championships was a kind of a pandemic success story of hers and a dream, and she credits her parents.
0: It takes a very specific brand of weirdness to go on Jeopardy. When I went home for COVID during the pandemic in 2020, I ended up watching a lot of the show with them. We would watch like three episodes a day for months. When I got the call, I kind of like freaked out I had like a mini panic attack when I tell people about this I'm like think of it as like something fun I did don't think of it as like the apex of my career you know this (laughs) brought back memories for me Sabrina my sophomore year for whatever reason in college me and a couple friends one of our friends we went to his dorm room and like it became a ritual that we would just grub and watch Jeopardy! I was not one to internalize or absorb any of the knowledge or even the fandom in Jeopardy. I'm not a big Jeopardy person, but I think it's amazing. The most impressive part to me is that any contestant of any age level in Jeopardy can retain all this information. And Mitch from Villanova, he talked to Hadass about the fact that his ability to make it that far in the tournament was really just a reflection of – anyone who has ever taught him anything at any point in his life. And it was so cool for him to be part of something that he's followed and watched all his life. I'm sitting there with the phone in my hand, and the first thing I say is, you have got to be kidding me, this has got to be a joke. You know, obviously there's a lot of excitement being there and and seeing the place you've seen on TV for, you know, 16, 17 years growing up.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. Good for them. Yes. Tiny spoiler alert here. So uh, skip ahead a few seconds if you want to actually watch the show and haven't watched it yet. Sadly, neither of them made it to the semifinals, but all the same, still very impressed. Congratulations. Well done.
0: I think a big picture takeaway from this, Sabrina, is that Philadelphia, by my astute but yet unofficial calculations, was the second best represented area, region, city in the Jeopardy! National College Championships. Of course, Boston with... All the schools that are up there um, had pretty solid Those representation. smart kids
1: up in Boston. <laughs> That's
0: right. Exactly. <laughs> but aside from Boston, the only city to have multiple contestants, Philadelphia.
1: So we are about a month out. I can't believe it's been a month since Bob Saget died. A whole month without Bob. A whole month without Danny Tanner.
0: Yeah. And it's really kind of thrown me that it's already been a month because I still feel like there's been a steady stream of tributes and acknowledgments that you hear about celebrities weighing in that sort of thing and we found out yesterday what the actual cause of death was for Bob Saget and his family released a statement essentially saying that the night into the morning that he died there was blunt trauma to the back of his head and he must have hit his head really really hard went to sleep and then he just didn't wake up. Just to me, almost makes it that much more tragic. Like it's, you know, so how random. often have you just had a freak situation like that? Probably wouldn't think anything of it. Also, this news about how Bob Saget passed away got us thinking. Here, I know Sabrina, we were talking about this before the show started, of the interview that we did with Jeff Ash, who works here at KYW News Radio. Um, right after Bob Saget passed away, Bob, of course, from Abington, Philadelphia, went to Temple. He and Jeff Ash grew up together in Abington went to Temple together. We had Jeff on and just figured, why not share some of Jeff's memories for those of you out there who might have missed that interview? He always wanted to put a smile on your face. He cared about you. You would ask questions about him, but he would always say, how's your wife?
2: How are your kids? He was, he was a people person. He was down to earth. You know, the, the world has lost a, a great comic, a great producer, a great director, a great writer. Um, and, and I've lost a friend. It's it's hard.
1: That was such a great conversation, hearing memories of Bob when he was working at the deli counter at a supermarket, uh, all the things he did on his way up in the comedy world. It was really cool to hear and really just a nice way to reflect on all of this, on a man who meant so much to people who didn't even know him Talking to Jeff Ash, who did know him, like really, really encompassed that.
0: Yeah, really wholesome, good, fond memories from Jeff about Bob Saget. And if you did miss that interview with Jeff about Bob Saget, go back, check it out here on the John Cass feed. It was published on January 11th. And like we said, it's a really heartfelt lesson. Now,
1: in a few minutes, we're going to look at what's going on with the Marian Anderson Museum. As we talked about at the beginning, it honors an opera singer and civil rights activist, but unfortunately has been closed for the past two years, not just because of COVID. We will tell you more. We will be right back on the Johncast. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. And this is the Johncast. So as it is Black History Month, we're looking for influential moments and people to learn from and learn about. Marian Anderson comes to mind Someone you should definitely know, she was an opera singer and a civil rights activist who lived here in Philadelphia. Her former home is now the site of the Marian Anderson Museum, which sadly has been closed for two years after a flood. Day Howard has talked with the folks at the museum throughout this whole ordeal. Sharaday, so good to see you and see you here in person. Absolute pleasure to be here and see you in person. All right, so take us back. Two years ago is when, you know, of course, Most museums, pretty much all museums in the area shut down with the pandemic. But then just a month later, the Marian Anderson Museum got flooded. What happened at that point in time? Okay, so
3: unfortunately, no one was there to catch it when it happened. Mm. So the flood happened. And of course, no one was in the museum. So the staff, everybody was home. So all of that damage just sat until someone went to the museum and finally noticed it. So that, of course, that time made a difference. And by the time they got there, they recognized that there was just probably about three to four feet of water wow. in the basement, on the first floor. So you're looking at damage to not only the structure of the home, but all, also the artifacts, and that's what's so heartbreaking. Wow.
1: You talked to the CEO, Jillian Patricia Purtle, who told you how she discovered this.
2: Due to the pandemic, we had to shut down along with all of the other historical sites. I was checking on the museum and I noticed a shushing sound and I was met with rushing gusts of water. We were left with over $40,000 in damage.
3: So it was uh, just just that devastating. She the the water happened. She walked into the building and she saw gushing water water was gushing from the ceiling from the almost from the basement so it was running up it was running down she pretty much thought that it was the end of the museum and at that point she was at the mercy of not just the water but the
0: community and the community's help can you describe This house for us, this museum, it's where? In Graduate Hospital, that neighborhood right around there? It's
3: in Graduate Hospital. It's a little South Philly. It's a little bit, you know, (laughs) Rittenhouse. It's that wonderful in-between place where uh, you go and it feels like it really is a home. It's still her home. So you walk in through the front door uh, and you can feel not only the energy of the past, but the energy of the people who keep it up, the people who believe in not just who and what, Uh, Marian Anderson stood for and what she did here in Philadelphia, but really want to keep that memory alive. So when all of this damage was done, it was a personal hit. So uh, Jillian is also the president of the society. So uh, the Marian Anderson Society, which is uh, at this point desperate to find local help from politicians, from the community, from anybody who will give just a little bit. They had a GoFundMe in the very beginning. They raised probably about 25 percent of what they needed.
2: We have had a bit of community support coming together to start us off with a GoFundMe to get the water out of the museum. We had the conditions assessment report done with the help of the Preservation Alliance for Greater Philadelphia. We've had the support of Councilman Kenyatta Johnson, the second councilmatic district, who lended a very uh, wonderful boost to us to try to get some of the funds to start with the repairs. And we are looking for any and all help and support. The community support is so vitally important. We cannot do this without the help of, um, fundraising community partners and those who are willing to help us, uh, with Marion Anderson's restoration repairs to keep her legacy going.
3: They're still about three quarters of the way away from their goal. And, uh, When you walk into the house, you can feel a little bit of that disappointment Mm. (laughs) right now. So we're kind of excited about seeing it open because uh, I think it'll bring life to the space. It'll bring life to the block again. It's just a row home. It's a row home where a family would have lived 100 years ago and pretty much had a similar experience to what they have now. You know, you walk in, you have a neighbor to the right and to the left of you. You've got two floors up. uh, You've got a basement that's modest. Everything's so modest. You would never expect that Marian Anderson would have lived in such a modest home Hmm. and had such a big life and such big dreams and so so much success. And you can see it in the artifacts, but the structure of the home is just like a regular Philadelphian.
0: You know, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing that if you ask the average person in Philadelphia right now, do you know who Marian Anderson is? Where have you heard of her before? They might talk about the award that so many prestigious entertainers have won and that's really widely recognized and is given out here. But the backstory to her, um, I-, I went back before we did this and I rewatched part of the concert at the Lincoln Memorial and the whole backstory with the Daughters of the American Revolution. Can you, Shara, tell us a little bit more about Marion Anderson, why she's important, and what she contributed not just to the city, but the bigger picture of things that shaped America.
3: So this performance in DC, it was enormous, not just because it was globally recognized, but as a black woman, as a black woman during an era in which uh, being not just black, but being a woman was uh, almost in so many respects, uh, a death sentence in certain parts of the country. And in D.C. and Philadelphia, there was a little bit more liberation. There was a little bit more of an ability to speak up and speak out. So she took those opportunities to speak out. And this was the first time a black woman did what she did on such a world stage. And she nailed it. She got up there and she nailed it. Everything that she was known for in terms of her voice, it was all present. But then she also spoke. And when she spoke, she had gravity behind that voice. And behind her message, it was about not only uh, what black Americans were experiencing, but they what they hoped to have in the future. So she was about recognizing what was what existed in terms of Jim Crow, what exists in terms of racism in America and around the world. But she was also about the dream and believing that going forward, things could change. So locally, she was not only always here and doing concerts here. But she made a point to come home and let people know that she was home and still really do a lot of community work at home and do a lot of activism at home. She spoke to uh, local politicians, and she really put herself out there when a lot of women and a lot of uh, black people were being cut down, just when they had a thought of it, almost. It felt like the moment they thought about standing up, their knees were cut out from under them. Not only did she stand up, she stayed up.
1: I'm like almost want to end it there because that was just so beautifully well said. But the way that you talk about Marion Anderson, I think mirrors what I heard in Jillian's voice when she was describing, she wasn't talking about Marion, but she was talking about what happened and being three quarters short on what they need. And you can kind of hear, you can hear the emotion in her voice. We are,
2: uh, we are a, a three quarters uh, short of the $491,000 that we need to fix this. So we only have um, 25% uh, raised. When you
1: first talked to her a year ago, I think she said there were $40,000 in damages, and now they need to get almost 500000 What happened in between there? Did it end up costing more than they thought? What, what made it go up so much? So they got
3: an assessment from the city. That's why you can hear the devastation in her voice it went from something doable to something mm-hmm. that seemed almost impossible. So $40,000 to almost $500,000. I mean, that goal that you talk about moving the needle and uh, the assessment not only went from the structure of the building, which really had taken a big hit, the floors, the, uh, the foundation, so much things that you talk to anybody else and they look at the car and they say it's totaled, you know, mm. <laughs> and she's looking at it going, it can't be totaled. This is not an option. So $500,000, okay, we're going for $491,000, and we're going to get it. So a a couple of local politicians uh, really did help, and the community came together. But you can hear when she says only 25%, you can hear the gulp (laughs) in her voice of what's left. So now with regard to the assessment, they're saying, oh, no, 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 we need a whole lot more than that.
1: Wow. And do you think, so she talks about the community support and that we really need community support. They've had some help. Do you think she feels like disappointed that the community hasn't done more? Or has this really been an effort of we are doing everything we can do. We're just still working to get there. The latter.
3: She I think and she would love to say that the average Philadelphian has money to give right now. But we look to the left and to the right of us and uh, (laughs) everybody's struggling right now. She can't ask for you know she can't get blood from a stone. She recognizes that, but she also uh, expected on some level for not only the assessment to be not what it was, maybe, (laughs) I'm not going to assume, but when the assessment came in and then she recognized that all the community really did give, they gave what they had, and then there was still so much more that was needed. I don't think she's disappointed in the community. She's disappointed in the fact that it happened at all.
0: Maybe I just wasn't old enough to appreciate something like this earlier in my life, but I feel like more and more recently, you're hearing of... Things that happened in past generations were keeping the memory or the significance of what happened in the past alive is becoming more and more difficult. If what I'm saying is making sense. Like I'm thinking back to Hadas Kuznets' coverage about Holocaust survivors. And I know you, Sharaday, did a profile on this awesome Philly jazz guitarist, Pat Martino. I mean, people who are getting older and older are also becoming fewer and fewer in number. Like the people who lived and saw this greatness are few and fewer in number. They're not around as much as anymore as much anymore. So I'm wondering how how we go about keeping the memory of these people alive. It just seems like this is something that from that generation, the early 20th century, it's becoming more and more of an issue as people from that era are less and less in number.
3: Right? And I think that statement is so strong because Philadelphia we live in a place that is historic by nature. I mean, we are one of the cities that really to me is a city of firsts. So we can't let people forget not only the pivotal points in which things happen for the first time, but it's about the follow through as well. We not only were the first, but a lot of times we're responsible for maintaining things, whether it be grassroots politics or art and culture. There are a lot of things that Philadelphia's uh, gravitas is really integral to with regard to America. American history really in so many levels is connected to Philadelphia history. So it's really important that we share this with the next generation and the next generation. But I think a lot of people uh, know that, uh, who said this? I don't remember who said this, but said one gen- it only takes one generation to lose all the ones before. Mm. So if you don't have those discussions with your kids, if you don't have those discussions with students, with youth and kind of tap into that passion not just about history, but about their own poignance with Gerard to history and what their, their what their families connected to with the street down, you know, right down the street. Did you know right down there, Marian Anderson would come home from that D.C. concert <laughs> and celebrate with over 30 of her friends from L.A., from New York, from Philly. They were all here. So many people pass through that house that you walk by every day. You know, that conversation needs to be had and the excitement needs to be reinstalled. So maybe that's the conversation that, you know, that we can have not just with ourselves, but with each other about, like, where's the passion for our own history?
1: I think about that all the time. And, you know, a simple personal level of like, I lost my grandparents when I was high school or early college. And I constantly think back, why didn't I talk to them more? Why didn't I hear their stories of growing up in this time period that I will never be able to to see myself so you know talk to people especially older people share these stories this is why we're having this conversation and sharing this story about Marian Anderson and hoping that people will listen and keep this alive so in that light you know this is this is the message how can people
3: help people can help by of course going to the Marian Anderson uh, website They have a GoFundMe, please contribute to the GoFundMe. They also have a wonderful event happening at Penn Museum on the 13th. So uh, February 13th, they're going to be going over some of the letters between uh, Marian Anderson and her husband. So 60 year love affair that most people don't talk about. So this is really important for Black History Month and for Valentine's Day. So you can go support, get a little bit of education about not only what Marian Anderson contributed, but who she was as a person what love means in the Black community and in the Philadelphia community and how that extends itself through history. But then you can get a little bit more of a personal attachment to why it's so important to have the Marian Anderson uh, Museum here. And then you can contribute, contribute in person, contribute online, just go. And they're hoping that in April, by the time they'll be able to get this place open in April. So reopening the museum in April is a goal. So maybe help them get there. If you can't do it now, do it in April to keep the doors open.
0: Awesome. That's great. The event at the Penn Museum sounds tremendous. Mm -hmm. Shara, we unfortunately don't get to talk to you that often, especially here in person, but you are a busy person in the (laughs) KYW news operation, Bridging Philly, Artist Block. What else? What's on the docket these days?
3: Wow. You know what? They fill so much time, and I love it, but it's just (laughs) talking to people one-on-one. I'm enjoying just getting on the street and talking to people about, you know, hey, we just had this amazing (laughs) water main break. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was crazy. Gushing water. And then the next moment you have uh, Jillian uh, Patricia Pertle talking about what Marian Anderson has to contribute. And really, I can't complain. This is one of the best jobs in the world. Get to share (laughs) time with you. Get to put my feet on the ground and get busy. And Philly, you know, hey, let's make it a John Cast thing.
1: I agree. You can find out all of what Sharaday is doing at Sharaday on Twitter, kywnewsradio.com. Definitely check out Bridging Philly, The Artist Block, and just all of Sharaday's reporting in general. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's all we got for today. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa.
0: I'm Brian Seltzer.
1: We'll catch you tomorrow. Have a good one.
0: See you.